I'm going to go ahead and going to go ahead and go right to the message after that because you think of that that song, "Greater You, Lord." What? I mean, if there's a phrase that leads us into Holy Week, it would be how great God is. You're talking about a great love that He would allow His Son to come and be brutalized, like we're going to remember Him being on Friday. A great plan that allows Him to stay holy as He's holy, and yet find a way that brings sinners. You know, finds a path to bring sinners into his presence without compromising holiness or just wiping and ignoring our sin. He comes up with this perfect plan to pay for that and to, to do all of that. That this great, this great remedy for our sinfulness that we get the life of Christ in us now and that he looks in us completely righteous. However frustrated we get with our sinfulness and things we keep falling back into, he just looks at us as though he's looking at his son because that's, he's put us in Jesus and he, he sees his righteousness in us and, and that he's put the Holy Spirit in us so that all of these commands that he gives to us, this is, what, this is how you need to relate as a, as a friend. This is the path that you need to walk. This is how you need to be as a father, or, you know, husband or wife or daughter or son. However that is, he's given you the Holy Spirit to enable you to live that kind of a life. So that you're not just trying to grunt it out and grind it out on your own, but so that it's just allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you and to have freedom to, to live himself out of you. That is some kind of great God. And then he tells you, this is what heaven is going to be like, and it's going to be forever, and you're safe. And if you're in and you're genuine, you can count on that. I mean, what could be greater than that? And so it just seemed like we need to step on that threshold and then come into this word, okay, great God, what is it you're saying to us today? What is the next thing you have to say to us so that we can experience this life the way you want it experienced? And, and so we've been going through uh, the letter first to First John. Good. Hey, Grant, it's not letting me control it up here, if you would. Thanks. And John's, John's probably one of the later writers of the New Testament. We've been talking each, each time we're in, in John about how important it was that this was something real that this wasn't diluted before he died. It's the last of the apostles, we believe, that he wanted this to be real. And so it's a very straightforward letter, as we've seen. He'll, he'll call people liars. You know, if you, say, if you say you're a follower of Jesus and yet you're living like this, you're lying. You haven't been born again. You haven't experienced the truth. How can you be abiding? It's just super important to him that it's kept real. So I want to read this passage today because it's one of the themes that keeps getting woven through, through the letter we're in chapter 3 and verse 11. I want to read down through the end of the chapter. So in 1 John 3, 11, on down, whether, yeah, whether you're reading with us in the room or on the live stream. Yeah. So 11, it says, For this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he's commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given to us. So this is going to be going forward in the letter. This concept of loving each other and what that really looks like, it's going to become more and more important. John, he's going to become more direct about that. And just going into it, just really a burden on my heart that God would just ratchet up in a really significant way how we relate to each other that way, that we be a, be, become a church that really is in love with each other, evidenced in how we serve each other. We're in love with a lost world, evidenced by how we are reaching out to it. 
stuff we've known from the very beginning. And when we first started this series, we talked about that song, you know, most of us learned early on in our life that Jesus loves me. That was the truth. And yet we somehow slide away from that. So you get a short video that kind of speaks, speaks the reality of that. How do we forget this thing? So, so we get the lights and you want to start that? When did we forget how to love? Did it happen suddenly? Or was it a gradual decline? When did we forget the very foundation of the gospel? For God so loved. Love is what moved God to action. Love is what held Jesus to the cross. Love is what rolled away the stone. But we, we've forgotten that part. Without love, we are simply a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal, a bunch of noise. Without love, we are nothing. Is that what people see in us? Meaningless? empty noise love is supposed to be patient and kind gentle not angry or arrogant yet in our effort to stand on truth we have forgotten the very thing these truths are based on love Never once did Jesus fail in this. Not in his heartbreak or his anger. Not in his joy or his betrayal. His default has always been love. Maybe it's time the church was more like Jesus. You know, it's always, it should always be something that characterized us. But boy, does it feel like this moment in history gives us this great opportunity to stand out. Because if there's one thing that divines the culture right now, it's not love. And so we can stand out in that. Even the church isn't so well defined by love because of all the things that are going on in these, this year and even beyond that that are divisive to us or where there's disagreement. So it's just something that... that that gives us this unique opportunity here. You know, through the, through the letter that John writes, we've seen him refer to us as children several times, just his heart for us. This is the only place in, in the letter he's going to appeal to us as brothers. And he's going he's to say that three times in the verses that we read, brothers and brothers. He's talking about this organic relationship that we have, you know, of brothers who are in the same family and who care for each other. You know, there we go you know, and who get along so well. Hey, I'm curious, how many of you have had brothers? Yeah, and so, you know, brother's relationship is more like this. Yeah, i got to figure this out, what's going on. Isn't it? I mean, it, I had three of them, and that was, this was way more of my story than this, unless it was my brother trying to get my spaghetti, however that goes. So you have the, you have the ideal, you have the reality. So he knows that, and he's, he's living in the midst of that, and so he's speaking to people. He's got imposters in this, in this church fellowship or in these churches, whoever it is that he's writing to, and he's trying to deal with those. And, and here's this marker that he keeps coming back to is, if there's a genuine relationship with each other, then you know that you're, if there's a genuine love relationship, then you know that you're genuine. That's his reinforcing to us, we'll see in, in a few minutes, that he wants us to know and he wants us to be able to rest in that. And so when he tells us here, you know, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, you should love one another. He's just telling us that's, that's the initial calling on us. 
fact, similar to the video, <clears throat> this is how F.F. F. Bruce, one of the commentator writers, puts it. Love is an indispensable feature of the lives of God's children. It's indispensable. So it picks up those of you that just want to live in, that's not really who I am, and that's not my personality. It's an indispensable feature of God's children because it's the embodiment of the gospel message. You know, the gospel message starts with God so loved the world. It continued on with, with Jesus who loved us enough to lay down his life for us. And then it goes on to we ought to love each other, that we ought to love the world the way God does. It's, it's indispensable. It's, and so that's where it is. And so John tells us that we are called to love. That's our, the calling on our lives. So many people wrestle with that. I'm not really sure what God's calling on my life is. Well, of all, all the things that could be, one of the certainties, he has called you to love. He's called you to love people. And especially, he's called us to love, to love God's people. It's just an organic thing that when you were saved and the Spirit came into you, you had the capacity to love. You have to work that up. You didn't have to figure out how to do that. It just was, became part of who you were. And when he assembled us as Cottage Hill family or whatever church family you've been a part of or your journey's in or the early believers, when they began to assemble together, the spirit in, in one person connected to the spirit in another person with that love bond. And unless we interrupted that, it was just there. It was something that's automatic. It was automatic to us. John says it's the earliest message. And so you saw in the video, it said, a new commandment I give you, Jesus said the night before he dies, that you should love one another. But we've seen John say this before. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. And we backtracked that back to the Garden of Eden. That was how things were supposed to be. And then in the law, even in all the commandments of the law, it was love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Those were the pre preeminent. And then Jesus comes along and, and speaks of, hey, this is, this is what love is. And then all the letters just pass that on to us. As you saw the video, quote that. So it's a message that's been from the beginning. It's been handed down to us, you know, here. Now your generation of, of church life, you do this well. You figure out in your context and in your time how to love each other and how to take care for each other and how to help each other grow and get past what needs to be gotten past. And how do you reach out to lost people, the people that need Jesus in this moment and in a way that connects with them and in a way that makes them feel valued even in their maybe incredibly sinful lives, how do you make them feel valued and wanted by God? Figure that out. That's what's been handed down to us and commanded to us. You keep seeing that through, through this. This is a command God's given to us, not a suggestion. It's not just something some people are, are really good at, and it becomes a marker. This is how you know who's genuine. This is how you know who's not genuine. And so we see John keep making allusions to that through, even through these verses. How can God's love be abiding in this person? How can it be true in this person? So we're called to love. We're not called to hate, which is clear. But then maybe we unpack this a little bit. We find ourselves a little more than we think. We're not called to be like Cain. We should not be like Cain. And anyone that had brothers felt like being like Cain sometimes. <laughs> I can remember I sent, I sent one of my brothers to the hospital one time, just a reaction thing I did, I, another brother, yeah, another brother, we had a similar thing like that, although as the middle scrawny brother, it was usually me that was sent for stitches or for whatever that was going on, or me that had to try things out. We shouldn't be like Cain, and why did he murder him? That's really where we need to look, look more in the mirror, because his own deeds were evil, and his, his brothers were righteous. You know, Cain, he has this moment. In fact, God steps into him to try to stop his moment. Because he, he, as you remember the story in, in Genesis, they're supposed to worship God by bringing, bringing an animal and sacrificing an animal in their place. Hey, I've done what's wrong and I deserve to die, but this animal is my substitute. That's what God had said. And Cain thought, man, I'm just going to bring God what I've got. This is what I've done. I've, I, he's a, he was a farmer. He brought the produce of the field. He brings it in and he offers it to God. God, I'm giving you mine. What I've put together, here it is. And, and God rejected that because it wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And so that's what drove Cain's moment was, he, why is God accepting what my brother's doing? He's not accepting what I'm doing. Boy, the power of rejection will drive hate, won't it? I mean, some of you, 
you struggle so much with a particular person because you just feel like they reject you or they reject your work or wherever that goes. You've had enough rejection in life that maybe some of you wrestle with bitterness or you just wrestle with not being a hopeful person. However that has poisoned your life, rejection can be so deep and it can be like the pathway to hate. So can comparison. In comparison, that's what, he, what he's doing. Or He's being exposed by his brother. His brother brings his offering. God accepts it, whether it caught on fire or however they knew that God had accepted one and, and not accepted the other. That exposure that you're right and I'm wrong, that can be very hard to live in. You know, some of you grew up with, and you had the perfect brother or the perfect sister. And, and maybe, hopefully, your parents were good. Not all parents are good. I understand that some parents, they just gravitate toward that perfect one. And so you feel left in the shadow or, or maybe you just kept trying and trying and trying to get up on the pedestal or get, share some of that spotlight. Or maybe you gave up ever trying to, to get to there. But even if your parents kept trying to affirm to you that we don't expect you to be like this one, we know you've got gifts that are different than this one, we know that even if, even if they were doing that, it can be really hard to live in that kind of a situation where you've got someone who's just such a good student. Everything they do is right. They just, they know what to do. People like them. And, and maybe you struggle academically or, or you struggle socially or however that is. That comparison... That can, be, that can be tough to live with, and that can lead to bitterness, that can, which bitterness and hate, they're just sisters. You know, or if you're, trying, if you're trying to do things your way, and you're trying to stay in the shadow, but you've got someone in your life who's doing things the right way, it will expose that. That's what John said in the gospel, isn't it? That, that people hated Jesus because he came and he was the light of the world and the light of the world was exposing what people were doing in darkness and people love darkness more than they love light and so they hated him because he just exposed them. Sometimes we're hated because we're exposing sin. In our culture, we have to find a loving, gracious, tactful way to speak the truth about what we think is right and wrong. And when we spread that light, we're, we're going to be hated. In fact, that's what the passage is going to tell us in a way. We just need to be hated because we're exposing and not because of the way we're exposing. So you have those things. Some of you, you have people that they just talk about. You just feel guilty around them all the time. Maybe before you came to Jesus, you had that person. Remember, remember we had a, a guy in the church when I was first here who said they used to call his wife the little nun where they all worked because she was none of this and none of that. You know, and so everyone knew what was happening around them. So here's Cain. Everything about Abel, his brother, exposed that he was doing things wrong, and he hated that. He just hated him for, for exposing him or for living in that sense of not being good enough, of just uh, seeing that. Or even just knowing that Abel was being blessed, and he was not being blessed. All of those factors... There's so many factors, aren't there, that drive us to hate things or to hate people? And we would never, we would never say hate, not in church. We're too smart for that. It's like, I really struggle with that person. Or I need to pray for them more. Which is a way of saying, I'm keeping them at arm's length. And John, all through this letter, is saying, you can't keep a brother or a sister at arm's length. You just can't do that because of the connection that exists in that. We're called to make sure that we're not Cain. One of the things that we've got to figure out a lot, if we're going to live in love and we're going to keep this church family family, you've got to figure out what are your hate triggers? You know, what are things that people do or what is it about people or what is it someone might say that just trigger you to push them away? Because that's going to be your hate trigger. It's going to be your divisive trigger. Maybe they say something that reminds you of what that perfect child did or someone that spoke you know, spoke harshly to you or someone that cut you out. You've just got to be aware of those things so you can just confront them when they happen and you can take their, their power away from them. So here's this dynamic that, John, that John's going to tell us. This isn't just Cain and Abel. This is the whole world. Because he, he's funny. He goes from, why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Oh, don't be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. Because you have, we have that same relationship in the world. If you're living as a follower of Jesus, you're exposing what's right and wrong. If you're living as a follower of Jesus and you're, you're working out your married life, 
you're exposing people that are living together. That's not really what God wants you to do. If you're living, if you're trying to live a pure life before the Lord and just stay sexually committed to what God says sex should be, you're going to expose people that are, that are not doing that or your language or, or the way you work and what you, what you will do to stay within the lines of what's, you know, way things are supposed to be done or where you feel like you can press the limits. You're just going to expose those things. And so people that are not, that are not following Jesus as Lord and as, as the one that can set what's right and wrong, people are going to hate you for that. And they're going to try to push you aside. That's all Cain was trying to do was just eliminate this voice or this example that he had. Just get him out of the way. And so he killed him. And so people more than likely aren't going to kill you, but, but they are going to try to just push you out of the way and get you out of their line of sight or out of their influence or out of their head in those ways. So, so he says that we got we to gotta remember the, we're not, not to lock down on Cain because we're so wired that we'll read scriptures, won't we? And we'll find the, like the place of least obedience. Oh yeah, I would never, I got this one because I would never murder anybody. I would never do that. So you kind of have to meet Jesus. Remember in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. He's in this part of the Sermon on the Mount where he's saying, this is, what, this is what you've heard. This is what you've heard them do to the law that my father gave you. But Jesus is kind of resetting. But I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Yeah, that ratchets it up a little bit, doesn't it? From, hey, don't murder anybody, you know, to... This is where life happens, and this is where, this is where hearts go. Because Jesus knows murder starts in the heart, and it starts with resentment, and it starts with hate. And so that's where we're called to follow him. We're called to love people, not to hate people, not to put people on our, yeah, I, I do not like list, or stay away from list. That's not what we're called to do. It's hard to be a follower of his and avoid people because in the course of his life he was going to people that everybody else was avoiding because he was going to everyone who's God's heart, who God had a heart for and that was everyone and so how do we keep this real John says if you're living like that how can you be abiding see he says in the end of verse 14 whoever does not love abides in death and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him you know, so he's not saying that, boy, people that hate people are not saved because he's using this word abiding all the way through. How can you know that God's life is flowing through you and you're experiencing that? Well, when you're, when you're relating to people by loving them, caring about them, knowing them, doing what you can to help them find fullness of life, when you're doing that, that's when God's life is flowing through you. That's when you are abiding. That's when you're filled with the Spirit. It almost seems like John's abiding in Christ is the Apostle Paul's being filled with the Spirit. They're using just different ways of, of looking at that. So we're called to love. We're not called to hate. And then he, he goes on and he says we're called to a, doing, to a love that's doing. You think about how powerful that phrase is, I love you. It's not a lot, there's not a lot of people can say to you that is more powerful than that. I mean, you're going with someone and that relationship is growing and you're trying to figure out on your side of the relationship whether you're at a point of saying, you know, of using the L word. They're on the other side of that trying to decide whether they're ready to say it and whoever says it, says it first. If you're both ready, if you're both ready, whoever says that, that, those words, I love you. Boy, those words just are so incredibly powerful. So you think how often through his word, God just keeps telling us that, telling us it's going to be forever, telling us that nothing can separate us, and then even going through a list of things that we might think would separate us from God's love. And no, nothing will ever separate me from your love. Those are incredibly powerful words. They can be incredibly empty words too. I mean, you know my journey, and that was a huge wound for me. Uh, was when my father left, and then just kept constantly telling us how much he loved us, even though he's doing nothing to get back to us. That became a wound. That when people told me they loved me, I just automatically started calculating: Do they really, or is this empty? And do I resent this person for telling me that? 
I mean, if you've been in Cottage Hill for a while, you've heard me say, I remember Howard Hendricks, one of my teachers, just talking about how much he loved. I love all of you in the class and just sitting there thinking, you know, you don't even know my name. You know, you do not know my name. How can you love me? And then understanding just through maturity that, yeah, when you're a teacher, you just have a love for your students, hopefully. You just have a love for them. You don't have to know them. That, but that, boy, that became a wound. I love you because those words can be incredibly painful. If your journey has, has, in, has included very few people who loved you genuinely, that phrase, I love you, that's a trigger. And, and that's a trigger that God heals. You know, that's why he tells us he loves us so much. So you can know, I am finally in a relationship where I am totally known, unconditionally, and forever loved by God. Boy, that's, that's why John says, this is organic. You're experiencing this. All you need to do is, is pass that on. I remember this moment where I, I had this phrase, I love you. It's such, a, it's such a precious moment. I wanted to just say it. I wanted to give it to a, like a gift to my one daughter. And so some of you have heard this story. So I, called it, I used to call it the, one mo- the, the worst moment of my life. And then Cindy pointed out, every time I said that, our daughter Joyce started crying. So... It's not the worst moment of my life, if you're watching. So, Joy's getting married. You know, I'm going to walk my only daughter down the aisle. And you know how Marion does it? She shuts the doors so that when the bride, you know, they go to the bride music, boom, the doors open, and there she is. So, here's my last moment with my daughter before she would take her down to the aisle to marry this guy, this undeserving guy. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. No. Hey, I thank God. We've got such a great son-in-law if you're watching. Yeah. Yeah. Now we are so thankful. But here we are. We're behind the door. This is my minute. I, I, look, at her, I look at her. I said, Joy, I love you so much. I did. It was just, you know, the heart of a father. So you can identify. You got one girl. And she looks at me. She says, love you too, Dad. And then she's looking to see that guy, that guy. And I thought, I didn't even get this moment. She, I've already been kicked to the curb, you know? <laughs> which is how it should be, I know now, but, but you talk about a moment where you want to convey, I love you, and it's not received. That's a tough moment. And I'm not the only one that's had that moment. Maybe that's, that's a humorous one. You know, I appreciate you laughing at my pain. But, you know, but some of you have had incredibly painful moments when you've said or you've lived, I love you, and it has not been received or it has been taken and taken advantage of, you know? So these words, in this thing that John is calling to us, it's incredibly powerful. It can be incredibly painful. If we really step in and do this, it's incredibly risky because you, you can't make somebody love you. You can make them respond just so that you'll leave them alone or so that you'll be happy in the moment. Some of your journeys have involved that, that someone has loved you and you just kind of given them what they wanted just to kind of bring, you know, settle the waters or whatever, even if you weren't feeling it or you weren't there yet. So he calls us into this. We're called to love by doing so that people can see that behind our words, there is action. And when there's action, it puts power into the words. It puts something that's real and something that's genuine. So he says in verse 16, by this we know love. Okay, God, you're talking all about this love. What is it? That he laid down his life for us. You know, he's given us this prime example of what love looks like. In fact, Jesus, Jesus talked about this. Uh, yep. Yeah. Hey, why don't we go there? So let me jump to it. Yep, there we go. He says, I'm the good shepherd in John 10, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Then he says a few verses, a couple chapters later, the night before he dies, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He's about to do that probably in about 12 hours from that moment. This moment in John 10, when he's talking about being the good shepherd, I'm the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Five times around those verses, he talks about the fact he's going to lay his life down, that he's going to just give his life up, and, and it's, he's, he's going to uh, give it for them. 
That's what love does. Love is a continual, continual giving your life on behalf of someone else. Of seeing, like we've talked about what love is. Love is seeing the value in another person and committing yourself to enabling that person to become all that they can become. Boy, we, you love your children. You see how valuable they are. You see how different they are. And you commit yourself. You just pour yourself into them to help them become who it is they can be. Who you know they can be. And so you say things like, I'm doing this for your good. Because you see the good that they can be and you're trying to get there. And I understand that not all parents are like that. And, and that I remember telling our kids one time, you guys need to remember, you have sinful parents. You know, when they're, oh, this is not fair. You made a mistake. We tried to drill in and we're trying our best here and we're, we're not perfect. But you got to do what we say. <laughs> so it was kind of a nice out in that. But I also understand some of your journeys include abusive parents along the way who might have told you, like my dad, they loved you, they loved you, they loved you. And that can taint love. And so all the more important you get into the Bible to see, to meet this God who loves you so well. And so you see, what is normal love? What does healthy love look like? Because that's going to be huge to your journey going forward. But we're called to a love that, that does. And so he points us to this example of Jesus. And all through his life, all you see him doing is loving people people that nobody thought deserved to be loved. Remember the Samaritan woman? They were surprised that he's talking to her. They were surprised that they went through Samaria. All of those things. Or he touches people and everyone goes silent. Or he tells a Roman, a Roman soldier that he has more faith than anybody he's met in Israel. He's, so Jesus is going everywhere just showing that, that God's love, it's not a respecter of persons. They bring in this woman that they catch in the very act of adultery in the very moment. And they bring it to Jesus say, now what are you going to do? Because the law says to a stoner, what do you say? And Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't give her a free pass, but he just makes things consistent. Okay, the one of you without sin, you throw the first stone. And then he just says to her, imagine the, the love she must have felt in that moment. Does anybody condemn you? No, Lord, nobody. Okay, then neither do I. Just go on and stop sinning. That's what love looks like. It meets somebody wherever they are. It doesn't ignore where they are, but it helps them get to where they need to be. That's what goes on in a church family. You, you step in and you get to know someone and you get to know their story and you get to know their struggles and you commit yourself to helping them move forward. That's just normal church life. You know, you can, have, you can have small groups where you do that, at home Bible fellowship or young adults or youth group or the worship team small group where that's happening or it can just happen organically because you took time to talk to someone after a service or before a service and followed up on that and, and, and loved not only in word but in deed. Because if your heart is there, the Holy Spirit's going to be directing you to a person and he's going to be... He's going to be burdening you for that person. He's going to be giving you ideas of what you can do to serve that person and en enable them to experience the love, to the love that Jesus has for them. It's just constantly giving out to others. That's what love is. And that's why it's important you would see Jesus sometimes take a break and sometimes just get off by himself because you want to love people. You want to constantly be giving out. But some of you, you need to check how much you're giving out and rest and Rest and be renewed yourselves because that will lead you to bitterness, just constantly giving and giving and giving and giving and not resting or not allowing others to love. Because some of you, that's your defense mechanism. You, you serve and you serve and you serve and you do for others, but you do not allow others to do for you. And that can, be, that can leave your heart empty or allow it to get cold. So you've got to be, at the same time, you're giving out and asking the Holy Spirit, how do I serve this person? What, who do you want me to serve? Who is it and how? You also have to be praying, God, please give me the grace to receive that from people. Especially those of you that have been wounded by people. Because we can, we can live very protected lives. I remember I mentioned this so often. Larry Crabb, the Christian counselor, said he had a friend who lived so safe, and he said that would be her gravestone, safe but no love. So allowing people to get close, that's the risk. Allowing people to love you more than words, what's, where's that going to go? 
That's risky, but that's following Jesus. And John is telling us that is the real thing that goes on in our hearts. And so you have this, this situation that John comes up with where you see somebody in need and you close, your, you close your heart to that person. How is the love of God active in that person? That's what John wants to know. I mean, there are a couple things you, you need to pick up out of that. You're close enough that you see the person's need. Because, boy, if you're, if you're a person that just comes in and you go out, and maybe you have a hi, how are you, a couple of those conversations, but you don't really get an opportunity to see the need. John is talking about you got close enough that you saw the need. You saw what this person needed or what might encourage this person or what might bless this person or whatever that was. You saw that and you knew what it was and you had that moment of, oh, I should probably eat, whatever it is, and you just shut that down. You know, closing your heart, that looks, that looks different in a lot of ways. That can be, I'm just too busy, or I don't really know them, or I haven't been here that long, or they probably wouldn't appreciate it, or probably wouldn't do the right thing. There's a lot of ways we close our hearts to people. All it means is you shut the door on doing something. And John just says, he says to, to us, the love of God is not operating in that person. Because when the love of God is operating, you not only see, but you do. So, so these churches where everybody loves each other and we're, they're always talking about that and saying that, but you've got to look under the surface to see, are there deeds to match that kind of talk? Because he, so he just says that to us so simply in verse 18 where he comes back to this, word, this phrase, children. Okay, little children, kind of gathering us in. He's speaking as this old apostle who knew Jesus, who was in those moments when Jesus talked about these same dynamics. Let me gather you in, little children. Let's not love and talk. Let's love in action. That's what he says to us. And so, boy, our takeaway is going to be, okay, God, I, I want to experience your love. I want to experience church the way it's supposed to be church. So just open my eyes to who you've networked me or orchestrated me to connect with and, and help me to know how that is supposed to work. Because in this church, you've got to be careful, like any church, that you're not just seeing the needs of your circle of people, that you're allowing the Holy Spirit to allow you to bump into people or intersect with people that you might not otherwise, or that might be totally unlike you, or that annoy you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit has a way of doing that, doesn't he? Of just connect bumping you into somebody that normally would annoy you outside and yet showing you the wonder of this thing called the body of Christ or taking you beyond your personality and, and take, moving you outside where you are taking the initiative with other people. That's just experiencing the fullness of, of this life that Jesus has given to us. So that whole knowing who and what to do and actually doing that, that is the gospel. That's the gospel, and that's what we're called to do. And then when we do that, John takes us in this really, in this really interesting uh, area, and he says, there we go, that if we live our calling, we can know real peace. Because some of you, you live with a, this constant like guilt motor going on in your brain all the time. You're not doing enough. You're not doing it the right way. Who are you? You, should, you probably shouldn't do it. It's just that, that kind of condemnation line that's always going in your mind. And John picks this up there. He says, by this we know, in verse 19. That's a key word through John, as we've seen. He's writing so that we'll know who's real and who's not. And so we'll be able to rest in the fact that you're real and what's genuine. He wants you to know, and he wants you to know. In fact, we started this series in chapter 5, where he kept telling us these things we can be assured of. We can know that we have eternal life. We can know God hears our prayers. And so here, by this we can know that we're of the truth, and we can reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So you see how he kind of takes us in this whole idea of little children. Now he calls us beloved because he's trying to draw us into this. And what he's telling us is that when you're genuine and when you see the things in your life that affirm that you are a genuine follower of Jesus, you're loving people. You know, are you doing that perfectly? No. Are you doing that in every situation that you're supposed to? No. But your heart is too and you're following, you're following up in those situations. When you're doing that, 
you can rest you can rest in the truth that you're of the truth and those thoughts that come to mind that you're not doing enough you don't really love people you need to love more people you should have done something for that person all of those condemning words they can fall it they can fall down you know some of us are just wired that way i'm i'm wired that way just constantly, I should be doing more. If I was really good, if I was a good pastor, if I was, I should be calling more people. This, I remember, I used to have a picture that was in a magazine, a leadership journal, long ago, an interview with a pastor. I think it was in my first year of ministry. They interviewed him, and then they had this picture cut out with a quote underneath it from the thing that said, "The conscientious pastor goes to bed guilty every night." I just taped that in my office for years when I was up in Maine because I constantly lived in guilt that I should be doing more. There were more people that I needed to call. There were more people I needed to get together with. There were, and, and the problem is, if you're, if you're burdened for people's needs, there are always way more needs than, than you have time or energy or wisdom for. To be able to rest in who are the people that God wants you to be involved in, that's where balance comes. And, Someday I hope to find that balance, you know. Maybe it's good to live in a little bit of, of that. I wish I could do more so that I don't just shrink back. You know, isn't it funny how we're either or people? Some of you, you need to give, give yourself a huge shove and get involved in the lives of people in a significant way. Others of us, we need to just really hear who, God, because I'll, I'll try to do this with too many people. So who? You know, imagine those of you that you, those of you that are in recovery or have been through recovery, that's got to be a real dynamic for you. You see so many people who are in recovery who need help. They need somebody to come alongside of them. It's got to be a challenge not to be overwhelmed by uh, you wanting to meet everybody, meet with everybody and rescue everybody. And instead of being able just to rest in God, who is the person or who are the people you have for me? Because John is saying that when, when you're abiding, when you're just leaning in, that's the phrase we used a few weeks ago, when you're leaning in on God and when you're just embracing him and he's embracing you, he's going to let you know who. And he's going to silence that, con that condemnation that goes on in your head. He's going to silence it. That's why John says to them, whenever our hearts condemn us, I mean, can you relate to that? those things you hear, that, that, that constant chatter, negative chatter that goes on in your head, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So there are times now I can just, I can find peace just saying, God, hey, you know my life right now, and you know my schedule, and, and you, know, you know that I'm available to whoever, and you, you know my burden. And so I'm so thankful that you know the limitations. I'm so thankful that if I just listen to you, you're going to direct me to who I need to be directed to, and you're going to enable me to believe you are directing other people to the rest of people. That you can know, the Holy Spirit can show you, you can be at peace with this because this is what I'm doing through you now. That's the Holy Spirit's job, is to reassure you, this is what I have for you, and you're doing that, and to bring that condemning voice quiet and it says in revelation about the devil remember it says he's the accuser of the brothers and he accuses them day and night that that voice you hear in your head you're not doing enough you should have done this you blew this one that's not your voice even that's not certainly not god's voice it's the voice of the evil one so if you're abiding in love if you're loving in indeed then you can bring that to god and it can silence that condemnation so you can be at peace and and just continue to move forward. Because if, if you and I, if we stay there, if we stay allowing that voice to drive us, I got to do more, I got to love better, I got to do this to more people, this person isn't, you know, they're not changing, I got to work harder and harder with them. If you do that, eventually you'll just quit because it just gets overwhelming and you will just stop. And, and pe some people in church, they just don't want to serve and, and we, we appeal to you or do whatever and you're not going anywhere. And so often... It's because you have been there and you have burnt out. And you've burnt out because you've been doing more than God had a mind for you to do. I can, I can tell you, it's a very, very hard, part of it's my wiring, part of it's my concept of what a good pastor does. Very, very hard for me to walk away from someone that has needs. 
even if they've, you know, resisted, 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 resisted. It's been hard for me to realize I can be faithful and just back up and, and, and let, you know, let God do something. And when he's ready, let me go back in. I can tell you that the recovery community has been great for me in that way. To hear you say about they just haven't hit bottom yet. And for you to be able to say that and to back up until the person hits bottom and is ready. There's something to that. There's something about loving a person enough to do that. So, so that's what John is trying to give us here. That if we live out our calling, then, then you're, you're able to know peace in the midst of that because we all experience that. So he says, if we do that, watch the benefit of that. We have confidence before God in the end of verse 21, which means we just have a freedom before God. We can stand before him and not stand there thinking of all the things we've done wrong. You just have peace, and it's the ability to speak freely. That's what that word confidence means, which is interesting because, because then he says in 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. We have that sense that we have, you can have a productive and a fruitful prayer life because you're where not you, God needs you to be. And so you're probably asking him for things that are of interest to him. It's not a, it's, this isn't one of those guarantees. This isn't one of those verses we all saw when we were newly saved. Wow, whatever I ask from him, I'm going to get. New car, new, you know, whatever, wherever that goes. It, he's doing this in the sense of if you are living a life of love, if you are serving people and you have things on your heart to ask God, he's going to hear that. He's going to hear that. And this is his commandment. Isn't that funny that John ties it up that way in verse 23? That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. You know, it's funny, John uses a single, singular, this is his commandment, but then he gives us two, two commands, kind of. But he's showing us these things are inseparable, that you believe in the name of Jesus Christ. So he's dealing with this one thing that's going on in this context of people that didn't think Jesus was the Christ. They didn't think he was God. They didn't believe that this was the, the way to salvation. They believed that you needed to just be attain like a higher sense of yourself or it's almost very new agey in, in that day and in how it was developing. That was what you needed to do. Not just believe in Jesus as the savior of the world who could save you from your sins and give you abundant life. So John says, this is God's command that you believe in the name of the son of God. You know, maybe I need to pick some of you up there who are here today. Maybe that's the first command you need to embrace, that you believe in the name of the Son of God. Not that you believe that Jesus existed and that, or you just believe that Jesus died on the cross, but that you personally believe that he did that for you and that you needed him to do that because of the mistakes you've made and that you believe that he's the one who's paid for all those mistakes and given you the opportunity to be forgiven and experience God's love. That you believe in him. That's just coming to that moment where you just say, you and the Lord Jesus, I believe that's who you are. I, I need you to be my savior. I trust you to be my savior and to come into my life and lead me. That's the command, the first part of God's command. And then coming in, then of course his command is that we love each other. And that you look through your life and make sure there are tangible expressions of how you are loving the body of Christ and then how you're loving people outside. Because John summarizes that. He says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, in God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he's given to us. This whole thing of abiding, of experiencing the real thing, this whole thing of knowing that we know. Because when you know things, then you're free to, to move on and just live in them. And that's his heart, and, and that's his goal, his goal for us. So here's this very real thing that John, when he gets into chapter 4, is really going to amp up and speak to us personally about what does that look like in church. And that's my huge burden, this crazy COVID year that's kind of driven us out to the outskirts, and now we're finally getting a chance to be back together, and, and things are being lifted, and we hope we get to have normal church life soon. Here's this time when God is calling us to what is our relationship with each other and how are we invested in each other's lives and will I step over things that I haven't stepped over in the past to get into someone else's life? This is that moment that God is calling us to do that. So, so I want to pray, but before I pray, 
or kind of as our prayer, I want us just to stand together and just say this prayer to the Lord. Give him some opportunity just to move out into our lives and the worship team is going to come up and, and close us out. Some of you, I'm going to let the worship team come up and get, get settled and then we'll do this. Yeah. You know, that idea of loving each other. So I've got some of you that are, yeah, I do that well. Then I need you to just check to see what well really looks like. Some of you that think, wow, that, I don't know. And I need you just to trust God and, and to step out. And I mean, we get an opportunity to apply that probably in about 10 minutes when service ends and we see whether you, get, you talk to someone and whether you lead with how are things going? Or you lead with, you know, I've never even gotten to know you or I've never even met you. That's just the starting point to loving people. So, hey, so let's say this together. Lord, open my eyes to see, enlarge my world to include, stretch my comfort zone to step out, and convey your love through my love. Yeah, amen. Because isn't that what it's going to be? Open my eyes so that I see what I need to see and enlarge my world, you know, so it moves beyond the circle of people I'm comfortable with. It stretched my comfort zone because of my personality or because of people that I like or I don't like or what I know or what I don't know. And then really, it's just convey your love. He's not asking you to work up this love. He's just allow, asking you to give his love an opportunity to flow through you. So, Father, I just pray you would just move beyond us because it's, it's natural in you. It's unnatural in us. But would you allow Cottage Hill just to be a place where this happens and where it gets unleashed? That is all on you. So we're just crying out to you that we need you to make it happen and we want you to make it happen. And here we are. We are available so that it happens to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
and sisters around us when we know that they were wonderfully made. When we know the value of who they are and how God sees them, how much easier is it to just love that person and just give, give your life for that person? God, so I pray that it would just be our reality, God, that not only is this, you know, we're just singing about how wonderfully we are made and and when we doubt it, Lord, just remind us. Um, but God, just remind us also that that these people that that pull our hate triggers are wonderfully made too. Um, so God, we just thank you for your substitution. God, you just, um, you're so good that you would just lay down your life for us, stand in our place. And Father, we thank you for seeing your son. 
when you look at us. Amen. Hey, I just want to read a verse over us, but I think, wow, what a great line Gavin just prayed, you know, help us remember the people that pull our hate triggers are wonderfully made. That's a little too convicting. So if you could keep it, yeah. What a great thing, though. There are people that you're dreading seeing. But this is a, a verse out of Philemon. Philemon is this little one-chapter letter Paul writes to his friend to ask him to do a favor. But he just tells him how much he appreciates him in the beginning. And there are people in our, you know, in all of our the churches we've been part of, you too, that just embody this verse. He says, For I, I have re- derived much joy and comfort from your love, brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. What a great testimony to have. There's somebody, they just refresh people. That's just a different way of saying they love people. So here's our moment. We're going to be done in a second. Here's your moment to just refresh someone. I'm going to challenge you before you leave just to, to talk to some people. It's not like, okay, tell me your deepest need. Tell me, how, how can I love you? It's just take the first couple of steps on that. Or if you've taken the first couple of steps, take the next step in that. And just see what the Spirit does. So, hey, Lord, here we are at your disposal. Do something eternal and really good through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.